0: your host, Alex Garrett.
1: All right, I'm here with uh, Jeff Mordock on Alex Garrett Podcasting. Jeff, this is sort of an as promised podcast, isn't it? Because when we last talked, we were going to talk about the Merrick Garland hearing. Of course, you're with the Washington Times, the uh, Justice Department, you know, bureau chief there, basically, for the Washington Times. And uh, now you're joining, joining us back. So it's been a whirlwind week. But tell us, what was your take and how you doing at that? How did you survive this whole hearing week? (laughs) Uh, This has been a
0: really – it's been a gauntlet of hearings. Um, It started Monday with Merrick Garland, and it's gone through today with a hearing where the acting chief of the Capitol Police testified before Congress about the security failures that led to the Capitol breach on January 6th. So it has just been a marathon of hearing after hearing after hearing this week.
1: So, would you feel like it was a marathon? You know, a lot <laughs> a lot of people were talking about how he said he didn't know. And of course, I think it's I think you should know a little bit about what you're getting into. Um, but I also thought he did a very good job saying no. Biden will not direct me on how to do my job. Did you feel that at all?
0: I yes, I felt like he did not want to com- he clearly was trying to avoid boxing himself into a corner. But I thought he handled the questions very well. He kept saying, you know, for example, that the Republicans really pressed him on the John Dorham investigation, and he refused to give a firm commitment, but kept repeating that he didn't see, as far as what he knew, any reason why resources should not be allocated to the Durham probe. He didn't see any reasons why the plug should be pulled on the Durham probe. So even though he didn't give as firm of a commitment as Bill Barr did when Bill Barr went through his confirmation hearing and they asked him about the Mueller probe, Bill Barr was much more firm. Um, Merrick Garland didn't want to go as firm as Bill Barr did, but I think he did make it clear. And you could tell from the hearing he was he generated a lot of Republican support. There's, There's no question about it.
1: Do you think he also got that support because sort of like Barr, he's been there, you know, he, he, like Barr got the Democrats' support because he's been there. So do you think that's happening here, too, with Merrick Garland? That, that I, I
0: think it's there, but also I think the Republicans know that there could have been somebody a lot worse nominated than Merrick Garland from their perspective. Uh, Merrick Garland has a reputation as a moderist, a centrist. Um, you know, if you look at his judicial rulings, a lot of them are very pro-law enforcement. As a matter of fact, a, I, I did a story um, ahead of this hearing. A lot of the far-left civil rights groups were very angry about the pick of Merrick Garland because they really wanted somebody who had a much stronger racial justice, social justice resume than Merrick Garland does. Um So I think the Republicans knew. I mean, there was talk at one point people were pushing for Stacey Abrams, who talked about far left, to be attorney general. And I think the Republicans know that that was a possibility. Uh, Deval Patrick up in Boston or up in Massachusetts, you know, another very far left candidate was in the mix. So I think they they don't want to oppose Garland because. Of the nominees the Biden administration has put forward, he is probably the most, one of the most centrist, if not the most centrist nominee.
1: You know, he did, um, do you think he can really track down all the extremists on either side, or is there going to be a focus on one side?
0: I think there's going to clearly be a focus on domestic terrorism, white supremacy. I, I don't think, I mean, he said it himself in his opening statement, that he was going to personally uh, oversee the prosecutions of the insurrectionists who um, attacked the Capitol on January 6th. And he should. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody disputes that what happened at the Capitol on January 6th was horrible and those people should absolutely uh-huh. be
1: prosecuted uh-huh.
0: to the full extent of the law. But, you know, you don't want to do that at the expense of ignoring Antifa and some of the far left groups that have been causing chaos. One of the things that I've been reporting on that I see is ignored by a lot of media outlets is, you know, Antifa's done a lot of anti-Biden protests since he's been inaugurated. As a matter of fact, they staged a very widespread protest in Oregon, uh, Washington, Minneapolis on the day of the inauguration to protest Joe Biden.
1: You know, Jeff, I truly believe um, anarchism, extremism on both sides don't only really care who's in office, you know, I really don't believe that they that the anarchists care who's in office. They just wanna cause chaos and bring everything down. And so that's why I say the fight needs to be directed at them and not so much at who's leading the country. I, I firmly believe that any presidency to be honest. Yes, I,
0: I I I agree. I there's been um you know one of the things I find really interesting is with Democrats in control of Congress We've had three hearings since the Capitol riots on white supremacy and the threat of domestic terrorism, all you know, which is is a real threat. I don't think anybody disputes that. But we've had no hearings on Antifa. We've had no hearings about what went on in Portland. We had no hearings on what's gone on in Minneapolis. We've had no hearings on the riots this summer. Um, and one of the things I find really interesting is at these hearings. You know, the Democrats really want to paint all Trump supporters uh, as white supremacists. They really want to point, and Republicans don't fight back. Instead, they, they do whataboutism, and they point to Antifa and say, let's not forget Antifa's bad. Let's not forget these far-left protesters are bad.
1: But and they never actually the
0: defend themselves.
1: And if they do, and they, you know, even go against Trump, you're not allowed at CPAC, which I think is. Let me tell you that the Republicans are killing themselves by censoring each other. Like I think all of that is so stupid because it gives the Democrats a little more movement towards leading everything. You know, because when one party is weaker, the other party will step in. I feel, and I always a two party system.
0: No, you're you're absolutely right. And um, you know, when when a party doesn't fight back, I mean, you know, America, you know, they see who's strong, they see who's weak. And just, you know, we're attracted to people who are strong. It's just the way nature is. And they see the Republican Party as weak right now. Um and part of it is they did get embarrassed with the capital riots. Make no oh. mistake, they were Trump supporters. And I think they've been really sheepish sheepish about taking the terrible actions of, you know, um, thousands of you know, I, we have not had an exact count of how many people were at the Capitol. So I, I shouldn't put a number on but but taking the actions of these bad people and um you know using them to generalize and paint the Republican Party with a very broad
1: brush. You know, you mentioned uh the hearings about all of them three times. And of course the insurrection is something we shouldn't forget and, and let's make that clear that we're not saying let's not forget it. But The question then becomes why didn't they do that when the riots in the summer were happening? You know, Republicans didn't really hold any Senate hearings on the riots either, if I remember correctly, last year. Now, that's a really good point for all
0: the complaining. That's actually a really good point for all the complaining in the House about uh, the Democrats refusing to hold hearings. The the Republicans controlled the Senate, and I cannot recall because I would have covered it i cannot recall a single hearing on antifa and the far left Instead, um, and
1: i know it's a big deal but they focus on the hunter biden which to me i'd rather focus on the city burning down not so much the hunter thing and in that moment you know
0: the hunter biden thing was never a winning issue for the republican party i don't you know why they ever thought it was um i i think the hunter biden thing certainly raises concerns and it should be fully investigated And it certainly raises questions about the independence of Joe Biden. All that I I think is accurate, but in terms of a political issue, it's not going to capture the public's imagination. One, because what he's accused of doing is very complicated uh, financial dealings. And the average person doesn't have the attention span to understand what exactly he did And then, two, he's also not running for anything. You know, he's the wayward son of the man who's running for president. And I think to some degree, the American public knows they're not voting for Hunter Biden. So, well, I I certainly agree there's a lot of shadiness. And there's certainly a lot of shadiness with Joe Biden's connection to these financial dealings. Uh, There's certainly – it certainly is not an issue that's going to capture the public's imagination enough to siphon that would have siphoned votes away from Joe Biden.
1: And then of course the issue then became bringing Jack and 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 uh, you know, Zuckerberg on the hill. Was that a winning issue or could they again have focused on something that happened in the summer that they didn't? I think focusing on
0: something that has what happened in the summer would have been a better issue for the Republicans in the Senate. Um, And the reason is, is because that appeals to safety. That's people's homes. That's people's lives. That's people's businesses. Um, I think they should have 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 have. Focused on that and made that a much bigger issue than than they did. You know, you look at the Democrats and how well they they just took the coronavirus issue and wrote it to controlling all three branches of government. Um, I, should, I mean, I meant to say all three, um, all three legislative chambers, I meant to say, Um but they don't, you know. They, the Republicans, they made an issue out of what happened this summer, but it certainly was not a uh, an issue that they rode to the extent that the Democrats rode to coronavirus.
1: That's true, and even Corona, I think the Republicans could have been tougher on. Now, back to Garland. I mean, he has his plate full. So, how much can he get done should really he be confirmed, or do you see him getting done?
0: Well, he does have an ambitious agenda. There's a lot of issues confronting him in the justice department
1: um
0: It'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see where where we go in and what he does. He's got the dorm probe to deal with. He's got all the social justice people pushing for defund the police and defunding the police policies. He's got to deal with the capital rioters and those prosecutions. In that investigation, let's not forget, we've got 22 investigations into the Capitol right, some of which are controlled by the Justice Department. Um, he's got a lot on his plate right now, so it'll be really interesting to see what he prioritizes and how he prioritizes it. Plus, the bus- the day-to-day business of the Justice Department doesn't go away. Um, you know, uh, For example, just something as simple as uh, this week they arrested the wife of El Chapo, that is a major Justice Department investigation. That stuff is still ongoing. That stuff still pops up. And that stuff that's going to require Merrick Garland's attention.
1: Jeff, uh, talking with Jeff Murdoch of The Washington Times, there's been report after report now that, you know, there were officials like Chris Ray and probably the DJ knowing that these threats were going to happen at the Capitol. Was firing Bill Barr not the best idea because he might have been able to tell Trump, right, that there was something going on if he was still there? Well, he
0: didn't fire Bill Barr. Bill Barr left on his own.
1: Bill Barr left
0: for uh, a bunch of reasons, one of which was uh, disputing President Trump on election fraud, that Bill Barr had insisted that the Justice Department had done thorough investigations and had not uncovered any evidence of election fraud, which sort of led to the rift in Bill Barr just, you know, he was going to be leaving and he just left a little early. He's going to be leaving anyway with the new administration coming in and just decide to go right before the holidays and enjoy the holidays with his family. Um, so um, he wasn't going to stay. There wasn't much Trump could have done to keep him stay to keep him to stay. Uh, probably the only thing he could have done is not pursue the election fraud claims, which, you know, Trump
1: well, Trump was never going to not do that, so um, right.
0: You know, well, and no, that was
1: his, that was a big downfall. He just could not stop talking about it. Then, you know, yeah, he, he just he couldn't let it go. It it it's, it, it's fascinating to me because
0: you, whether you like President Trump or whether you don't, there were some accomplishments of his administration. You, you can't take that away. And now the legacy, all those four years, it's just going to be the Capitol riots. I think even conservatives have to concede that that's what he's going to be known for. That's going to be the hallmark of the Trump administration
1: was he egged on this crowd that rioted. And I believe he did. Like I will say, it. some people say, what do you mean he did? It's clear he did. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Hey, uh, I completely agree. I, I don't think there was – I don't
0: think there's any doubt he egged that crowd on
1: let's talk Merrick Garland's supreme court uh nomination versus um department of justice nomination was the was his hearing content the same or what was he like as a nominee for the just, for the for scotus did we even get to hear from him well nomination? we never got to hear
0: from him because the republicans refused to hold a hearing so we never even got a hearing on him uh for the supreme court And it's kind of interesting. I think there was some revenge in the pick for Merrick Garland and, and I shouldn't, and I don't mean to, um, downplay Merrick Garland's qualifications for the attorney general position because he is very qualified. I I mean, even Republicans aren't disputing that. So you've got, but I think, um, part of it because before the Georgia election, the Georgia Senate runoff was decided, which decided who was going to control the Senate. Um, it was clear President Trump wanted Merrick Garland, and he even delayed the announcement until the Democrats won in Georgia. So, so it was clear that the, that the uh, Republicans would not block the judicial seat that Merrick Garland is leaving to become attorney general. Um, what's interesting is a lot of people wanted Biden to, appoint attorney, to nominate his attorney general before that period. He was one of the last cabinet officials to be nominated, uh, the other thing that I think, so I think he, I think what was going through Joe Biden's mind is a little bit of revenge here because the Democrats didn't want to pick him because they were worried that Senate seat would, or that judicial seat would become open and they wouldn't have control of the Senate. And also, there's a lot of pressure to get a more, uh, a, get an AG candidate with a stronger racial justice social justice resume, which Merrick Garland brings a lot of qualifications, he does not have a lot of racial and social justice experience. You look at some of the other people who were considered Deval Patrick, he ran the Justice Department Civil Rights Unit. Uh, Doug Jones, the former senator from Alabama, he has a career prosecuting civil rights cases, has a U.S. attorney before he became a senator. He prosecuted uh, Ku Klux Klan members for bombing a black church. Uh, in the 1960s. He prosecuted them, I think, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So he even has more stronger social justice, racial justice uh, credentials than Merrick Garland. But Biden really stuck to his guns here and stuck with Merrick Garland. And the only conclusion that uh, I think we're led to draw from that is a little bit of revenge for Merrick Garland not getting the Supreme Court seat in 2016.
1: Well, it all feels connected, doesn't it? Now, uh, a couple of things you mentioned about civil rights. Is that a uh, subsector of the Department of Justice back? Because I know the Trump – didn't they disband it or something happened with the civil rights depart, uh, side of the Department of Justice? Well, the civil rights
0: – no, the, the, there was – I mean there were certain uh, programs that the that the Trump administration had disbanded. But the Justice Department's civil rights unit is probably one of the largest units within the Department of Justice, and they um, – that is what they were very active on uh, in the Trump administration. They were very active on issues that Merrick Garland isn't going to support. For example, the uh, they filed a lawsuit on behalf of Asian students who said that they were being discriminated against from Ivy League schools um, in the admissions process that they were being looked over. For less qualified African American candidates in the name of diversity, uh, soon even before Merrick Garland got in, the Biden Merrick Garland still isn't because he has not confirmed yet. The Biden Justice Department immediately withdrew from that case. So um, you've got a lot of so there, so it's going to be a very different civil rights philosophy. But the civil rights division is extremely active. Um, is
1: it the DOJ or the State Department? One of them pulled out of a lawsuit today. Defending women in women's sports—is that—is that the right department? Because I heard there was some withdrawal uh, from supporting, actually, against transgenders. I haven't really into it, but I know that that was a big deal today. Yes, and of- that
0: was the um, and that was the Justice Department that withdrew from the lawsuit.
1: I mean, would you care? Because I'm I'm kind of curious what what their reasoning was for
0: for why they withdrew, why they uh, yeah. Um, they didn't get into it, believe it or not. They basically – it was a very short filing in the courts, and all they said is that they don't believe this case is in the interest of the U.S. government.
1: Interesting. Well, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, I, of course, want women's sports to be women's sports. I'm not going to pull any punches I think mean, that's that makes, that's what it is. You know, I knew a lot of girls in college who woke up every day and did, and did the hard work, so I want that to be protected um, just a personal side there. Jeff, there was something else that's been going on the last couple of months, which I don't think got much coverage, but you might be on top of it. Were they sort of firing Trump appointees or Trump-leaning uh, DOJ employees as well? It's, I thought I saw a couple of that, that happening. Well, obviously the
0: Trump-leaning DOJ employees, a lot of them left after um, – a lot of them left after the, um, obviously after the election loss, after the election, a lot of them started leaving. Um, that's not unusual. I mean, you see that from change to change in the administrations. The other thing is Joe Biden fired all of the Trump-appointed U.S. attorneys uh, or asked them to resign. That's also not unusual. When a new president comes in, they always fire or ask them to resign um the U.S. attorneys appointed by the previous president, you know, Biden fired all of Trump's except for two. Uh, Trump fired most of Obama's. I think he kept two on. Obama fired most of George Bush's. George Bush's fired most of Bill Clinton's. On it's and like on. A tradition, yes, yeah, so it, it absolutely is a tradition. It's interesting though; it's a little more thorny this year than most because one of the U.S. attorneys, um, David Weiss in Delaware is leading the investigation into Hunter Biden. Uh the Biden administration, I think, realized the media firestorm they would create if they fired David Weiss and they
1: That's why it should have kept him pre, right? That's why it should have kept him pre in New York.
0: Yes. Um he they, they realized the firestorm and they decided not to uh fire David Weiss. They decided to keep David Weiss on. Uh, as U.S. attorney, so the Biden, so the Hunter Biden probe could continue unimpeded.
1: But yeah, if, if Trump kept Preet on, it wouldn't have, it would have prevented a big headache, but that was a huge weekend. I, I'm sure you remember it as well as I do. Like, it was just like nonstop coverage of that, because I always thought Preet was a great attorney, he just happened to be looking at the Trump stuff in New York. It was very, very, oh, man, it was just a bad look, in, in my view, to fire, even though it's tradition, you know? Well, and he wouldn't step down. I mean, that I think that was part of the
0: problem. He wouldn't just pre just wouldn't take um, take the firing and leave. He fought back and then just you know went on CNN and trashed Trump every chance he gets now.
1: Yeah, he, um, he does love doing doing that. That's for sure. Um, yeah. You know, with speaking of CNN, the Cuomo coverage is there. They're having to talk about it, and so is the DOJ. So. As a New Yorker I gotta ask, can this nursing home investigation grow legs? Will it? And and now the sexual assault thing looks to be investigated. What what is your take on all of that? Well, I think the
0: DOJ, I I think the investigation into the nursing homes, I think that will grow grow legs. You know, a lot of people a lot of people will say that the Justice Department um won't go hard on uh, Cuomo because he's a Democrat and it's run by Democrats. But honestly, you know, the Democrats have kind of—they've never been on board with Cuomo. I mean, you, you live in New York; you know this better than I do. They—I don't feel the progressives and the Democrats have ever really been that on board with. Didn't Cuomo. Cynthia
1: Nixon want to vote, run against him. I mean, there's been a lot of opposition for against him. So there's, yeah, there's
0: been yeah. A Cynthia up. Nixon ran. I mean, didn't Cynthia Nixon run against him at one point? Um, and guess who
1: supported of De Blasio. So
0: yeah. Um, he's, they've never, for whatever reason, and, and I mean, well, I mean, there are reasons. Um, I, I don't know we have time to get into all of them, but they have never embraced. He's never really, the, the, the far left has never really looked at Cuomo as one of them. Uh, despite his platform and his agenda as governor, uh, they've never really looked
1: at him as one of them. No, they haven't. And now they're, as I, as my dad and I keep saying, there's a storm of Berwyn against him now, and it just keeps circulating, and I think Boylan's being encouraged to speak up, I think a lot of these people, because now, you got to remember, election year is next year, so there's that, there's mm-hmm. that behind it, too, so I'm not, I'm not surprised, but you know, it just, I wanted to believe what he was doing was right in the beginning, I mean, I kind of didn't pick up on the directive until later on, and once I did, uh, once I did, I was like, what is he doing? I mean COVID positive and to a nursing home didn't make sense. But now everybody's sort of seeing the mess fall off and uh and we'll have to see. You know, this also reminds me of, of the uh topic we were talking about off air, which is the acting attorney general. The acting, you know, secretary well, Kerry's secretary, so he's not acting. But there are some acting roles here, uh still in the Biden administration. Does that hurt the admin? What what's that gonna be like moving forward?
0: Well, it, it's interesting um, because things do, you know, things do grind to a halt when you have an acting there. We've had an acting attorney general, and we have not seen a lot of activity out of uh, the Justice Department since Bill Barr left on December 23rd. Um, you know, they don't have the authority. They don't have the cachet. They and, and this isn't just for, you know, this is for anybody who's an acting head of a department. You don't have the cachet. You don't have the um, the full authority. You don't want to do anything because, you know, once whoever comes in is going to come in and change everything and do what they want to do anyway. So it's almost pointless to do anything. Um, and they kind of just sort of sit there and, and, and be a hold placer, you know. They'll sign off and they'll do the day to day things. Monty Wilkerson right now is the acting attorney general He'll sign off and he'll do the day to day things and the things that need to be done to keep the Justice Department running, but he's not going to do broad policy initiatives. We're not going to see broad you know um, you know sort of broad shifts in how the Justice Department operates until Merrick Garland gets in. Because he's going to be the guy vested with the authority. You know, as soon as he comes in, he is just on. You know, he is going to be the guy everybody listens to, and um, you know, will will have the credibility to um, to make these decisions uh, about the department.
1: And I was going to say, the next time I'd like to have you on is when the confirmation happens, when he takes office, and actually, as you get to know him, the first couple of times around. He might do some press conferences,
0: right? It seems like that could be a thing. I would hope so. I, I, I would hope so. Uh, one of the things I miss is in COVID world, um, all the DOJ press conferences are now remote. You can't go. I used to like to be able to go. You go, went up to the seventh floor press room. Uh, the attorney general would come out. You raise your hand. Sometimes you get called on. Sometimes you wouldn't. Now, it's they go into the seventh floor press conference room. Nobody's allowed in there, and everybody has to call in with a number to ask a question. And I always want to call in, and when they call me, it'd be like first time, long time, but I don't think <laughs> anybody would get that. So
1: Hey, I guess you love radio, right? I, that's why you <laughs> do these podcasts and stuff. So yeah. I, I love it. That's that's pretty good. I'm I'm gonna wait to hear if someone does that to Blasio or some one of these other guys when they call in because someone would do that. I I have a feeling that's great. Um, yeah, and I feel like the last time the press room was used was was during uh, Mueller's you know statements, right? I feel like that was the last time it was really used, actually.
0: You might be right. I I don't remember. I'm wondering if I I feel like they used it after that for some cyber crime arrest, uh, some Russian
1: cyber Oh, yeah, that was huge because Rosenstein was actually making that announcement. And uh, it was like, wow, he's still there. You know, it's interesting that he was the one making that announcement. Um, All right, so we've covered a whole bunch of stuff, but I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you. Mm -hmm. Spring training is here and I think you and I would both want to be in Florida watching our team spring train right now. Yes, yes, there, we do. Because there's been little of snow snow on the ground since, like, February 1st. Every day you wake up and there's snow. But uh, Nationals, what's the deal with them? Are they allowing fans? What, what's going to happen down there?
0: Well, before I get into the Nationals, it's been 60 degrees in Washington, D.C. the last two days, and the snow still has not <laughs> melted. We <laughs> still have snow on the ground here in D.C. That's how much snow we've had. Um, Now, about the Nationals, I'm actually psyched. Last year was a down year for the Nationals, and it was a little disappointing coming off of um, a World Series championship. But also keep in mind, I don't even look at last season as a real baseball season because of the rule changes, because of the 60-game season, because of the pandemic. It almost just seemed like something they just threw out there to um, satisfy the TV contracts. I think the Nationals this year are going to be much better. I mean, Strasbourg didn't have any healing, any feeling in his hand, and had to go on the DL. I forget how many starts he made. He made one, two starts, something like that. He, uh, you know, he he will be back. Uh, Scherzer's getting older, but he's also on a contract year. He's going to be motivated. Um, I'm excited about that. I think the Nationals have finally addressed the bullpen. There seemed to be a pattern with the Nationals where every year they would go, come out of spring training with a shaky bullpen. The bullpen would scuffle for about a year or two, or I'm sorry, for about a month or two, and then they would start to address it and make some changes around the all-star break, and it would be much better. This year they're actually coming in with a focus on the bullpen in the offseason in a much stronger, much better bullpen. Uh, and speaking of bullpens, we got rid of Sean Doolittle, which in my view is addition by subtraction. I thought he was I, he was my least favorite player on the Nationals, and I thought he really, you know, when he was gone, when I found out he, he left, I was like, well, now who's going to give up the, uh, who's going to give up the two-run double to blow the game?
1: Do you guys have a partnership with the Nationals? I feel like I've seen Washington Times around the ballpark uh, when I was there. Maybe not, but I thought I saw that. We, As far as I know, we
0: don't, but you know, a lot of those business decisions are ahead of my, my pay grade. Yeah. So uh, maybe there's something you, I don't know about.
1: Well, at least you can enjoy it from a fan's uh, perspective. I, just, I thought I saw them in the, on a banner once, maybe not. Uh, but hopefully they will have fans. You're saying by the All-Star break, here in New York, it looks like we might be full steam ahead with at least 10 to 25% of fans at Yankee Stadium, City Field, which will be exciting. Yeah, from I think people. that's
0: great. I think that's good. You know, I think that's a good start. You know, people are starting to get vaccinated. Um, We'll just, we'll see where it goes. Um, It'll be really, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how this plays out. Obviously from a revenue perspective, this helps the sport because you don't want baseball to do what hockey did, where they had to have sponsors for their divisions. They had to put, um, advertisements on uniform to make up for the revenue loss of not having fans in the stands, you know, baseball fans look at their sport uh, a lot more sacred than a lot of other fans of other sports. So the fact that, you know, baseball can avoid that by bringing in some of the fans, I think is great for the game. And plus it's just great for the game to have fans in the stands. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I understand why they weren't there last year, but it's what the game
1: needs. I'm tired of the cutouts and the fake noise. Uh, I really am. Hey, you know, this reminds me of a question I've never asked you yet. Mm-hmm. When people see the reports, they see how buttoned up you are and how you know really focused are. But what's like the conversation with DC reporters? Is it? I feel like it's a different animal down there when you all you guys are together covering these stories. There's like a camaraderie up there that maybe we don't see here in New York. They're, well, when we get together, it's
0: it's interesting. We'll talk about the stories. Um, we're always interested in what uh, everybody else is leading with. nobody ever leads with the same thing um I find everybody seems which is good you know it, it it's everybody has a different reason for for going to their paper um, it, it, and everybody has paper they like you know if certain papers went out of business, I'm not sure other papers would gain more readers um because I think media people have the papers that they like, they're loyal to, and that's where they go. Um, and I'm always fascinated by what – so so always a big discussion is what did they – what did you lead with? What did you think was the news? Um, and it's always interesting to see what people come back with. And a lot of times there's no question what the news is. But a lot of times some people kind of lead with different things. You know, the Merrick Garland is a great example. Is I saw some people lead with the fact that uh, Merrick Garland – uh, was going to personally oversee the prosecutions of the Capitol rioters. I saw some people lead with what he said about advancing the Biden administration gun control policy. Other people led with him uh, vigorously uh, talking about why he does not support defunding the police. Other people led, led with him, dod- and I think we did too, dodging questions about the John Durham probe. So that's usually what we talk about is, you know, what we're going to lead with and why.
1: And do you find them friends as well? You know, because you're competing with these guys for the headline, right? But are they friends as well?
0: Yes, some are. Um, some are very friendly. Some are very, you know, some are very nice and you get along. I mean, it's it's like every other organization, every other group. You know, there's people you like and people you don't. And um, But, yes, I, I, there are several of my colleagues that I do consider friends and hang out with.
1: Uh, this, wow, this is like opening up a whole thing because I know mm-hmm. in the summer, you guys are still covering the stories. It gets really hot, and I've never asked you this, but has there ever been an altercation with an official and you or they were pushing back against you? Like, have you ever had that happen uh, uh, while asking a question? No, I've never had that. I mean, I've had people refuse to answer. I've had people
0: walk away. I've had people abrupt. I've never had anybody. I've never had a physical altercation with anybody. I'm very lucky. I know people who've had. I've seen other people have, but I, I've been very fortunate that, that has not
1: happened. And no, and no verbal. That's good. Well, you're very to the point, I think, and that's that's a good thing.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I mean, I've had. Um, I got into a verbal altercation um, years ago on the phone. I, I can tell you that story. It's not that interesting of a story. I can share it. Uh, I I had actually I have a better story. If you want to ever hear about the worst interview I ever did, I'm happy to share that story. But I I actually, the only time I've ever hung up on anybody I talked to, um, I was a reporter in Delaware and I was covering a legal case and it, it was a corporate legal case. It was these two companies that were suing each other. And it was, it was so there was a lot of drama and a lot of gossip surrounding the company's breakup. Um, one of, one of the, one of the, 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 two heads of the companies at one point were engaged. They had a very bitter breakup and they fought. So I was pushing the one legal side. One legal side was extremely media friendly extremely media friendly. And the other legal side did not want to talk. And I pushed them and pushed them and pushed them. And they actually did set up an interview with me and the attorney And the attorney just did not want to do the interview. Tell he just didn't want to be there. Somebody from media was forcing him to be there, and he was short. He was uh, curt. He was not, you know, didn't want to answer questions. You asked him questions. He got snippy with you with every question. And I actually did hang up on him because it was a complete waste of time. Um, so that that was bad. I'll tell you. Um, the worst interview I ever did was with a guy who owned a business in Delaware and his business had merged and he had sent a press release to the larger paper in town and they had done the story ahead of us. And I, my, the editor I worked with described this guy as a really good guy and when I called him, he said to me, he's like, well, I don't know how this got out. And I was like, well, it was a press release that you sent and signed off on. And he just, he really wanted this big interview where I came to his office and I sat down and talked with him. And we wanted to get the story out because it was already broke. It had already been broken from a press release he sent, even though he constantly denied he had sent the press release. And... um So I did the interview with him, and you could just tell he was miffed and annoyed. He did not get his big uh, interview from his office that he wanted, and just was very difficult, Um, very very difficult to deal with.
1: Um, That's that's probably um,
0: the worst interview I ever had.
1: It is interesting, even as a podcast. Like sometimes, uh, thankfully, we are a good click, but that click matters. Because uh, sometimes I reach out to people I've never talked to before, and that's always a challenge. You know, it's like, are they going to be good at this or not? We don't know, right? So that's why we do it. Right. Do
0: and, and it depends if they want to be or not. You know, I mean, I mean, that was the problem with those two interviews. They they didn't want to be. They didn't want to be interviewed. Um, they didn't want to participate. And if that's the case, it's better just to decline. Don't don't ever try to do an interview where you you don't want to be part of it because. You don't help yourself because you just look like a jerk. You don't help the reporter because you're not giving them any information to give to their readers. You don't help your cause because then you've just alienated the reporter and you're not going to get sympathy on your side because you've given no information to the public. It's better off just not to do it than to do it and just be um, pissed off about it.
1: Do you like answering questions or do you like giving the questions? I'm curious because I've. had I you like asking the clients.
0: questions because that's what I'm used to. I don't really get asked a lot of questions. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy coming on your show so much, because you—it's it, different for me. I'm not used to actually having somebody else ask me questions. Um, and you ask really good questions. You ask interesting questions. Um, things I hadn't thought about, uh, including interviews just now. Um, I like it, so that's where is why I like it because it is so different. I, I much prefer asking the questions. That's what I'm used to. I can control the environment a little more, and it's just 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 how you know where my experience comes from.
1: It's your bread and butter, if you will. So Yes. Jeff, I appreciate you taking this time to talk to us about Merrick, about life, about everything, and and please come back as well. The confirmation happens. Let's talk after that, and then I think we'll see where it really goes. Uh, once he's confirmed,
0: I, I agree. And I think the confirmation is going to be interesting because I think you're going to be surprised at how bad, or I'm sorry, how, 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 how good I've got tongue tied there. I apologize for that. How, how strong the support the uh, he's going to have among Republicans. I think you're going to be surprised at, at how many Republicans go for him and how strongly they endorse him. A lot of the police, the National Fraternal Order of Police, which strongly endorsed President Trump twice, uh, in 2016 and 2020, and really, really advocated for Trump in 2020 amid the defund the police movement. They've come out in favor of Merrick Garland. So you're going to see a lot of pro-Trump people on the right coming out in favor of Merrick Garland come confirmation time.
1: Uh, one of the could the GameStop and the AMC and Reddit fall under his purview at all? Because you just mentioned, uh, it triggered my mind, you know, the stock market under Biden still is up 131 31K. But are they going to do investigation into this whole GameStop thing? Is that going to be their purview too?
0: Uh, I've not heard anything that they're going to right now. Um, it doesn't seem like they are. Um the GameStop thing, I, I haven't. I, 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 what I followed from that is what I've read in the papers. I've not done any independent reporting on it, um, but I've not seen anything to indicate the DOJ is going to watch a probe into it.
1: Interesting, because I know they did a hearing on that last week, which kind of went under the radar, actually. But um... yeah, it's it's some It's it's interesting. People, it's interesting where people fall into that.
0: You know, it's. Mm-hmm it it's just kind of interesting to, to see which side people take in that fight.
1: Yep, and then I was outside the stock exchange the night it happened, and I knew something was coordinated because they had a whole bunch of protesters outside the stock exchange in which when the traders were leaving the floor, I heard them say, oh, what are you going to do with an insurrection? I thought that was kind of funny. Anyway, <laughs> Jeff, I'll let you go. It's been great to have you once again, and please come back, and we'll talk more American and, and, and other things. I mean, the hate crimes are still going on which we need to cover next episode because, you know, how's the acting dealing with that? I'm kind of curious, but we'll leave that to another episode at down the road.
0: A- absolutely. Um, thanks, Alex. I-, I-, I always love coming on your podcast. So thanks for having me. Appreciate
1: it. That was Jeff Murdoch of The Washington Times. I'm Alex Garrett, and we will certainly talk to you next time where we're always adapting.